Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, we were off last week, so plenty to talk about when it comes to the NHL and all the uh, happenings and goings in the league. Uh, again, uh, I'm Steve Mathis. Get the show on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. Get it on PulpHockey.com, wherever you get podcasts from. Uh, certainly get it there. So, all right, let's dive into the show. With me on the line to talk about the NHL, 18-year veteran, TSN lead color analyst, the voice of the world juniors as well. Ray Ferrar, what's up, Ray? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, you know, it's, uh, had a busy day here. I've been, uh, I was in the EA studios in the morning, taped uh, about five hours of stuff there, and came home, did Montreal radio in the car, Toronto radio at my kitchen table, and <laughs> you know, just was tough to talk to you today. Yeah, we we were off last week. I was uh, I was in Europe. You were calling two games in two nights. We couldn't quite work it out, so... Apologize. Yeah, just that, the old European time change is a tough one to get over. Yeah, absolutely. I'm struggling with it right now. Uh, Jason Botchford, uh, senior writer for The Athletic, uh, a very popular left coast uh, writer who follows the Canucks, is going to join us on the show. Yeah, really opinionated guy. I like him a lot. He's not, um, when he writes and when he speaks, he's not shy. He's um, his opinions are they're right out on his sleeve. You see them right away. Um, I, I enjoy his stuff a lot. It's funny. It's sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got some cool ideas about building a front office, and hopefully we can get all that. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to uh, talking to him. Uh, love the 9-6 game, right the other day. Oh, I love that. 9-6. Well, the, the best <laughs> part about that was after the game, uh, John Tortorella was doing an interview, uh-huh. and um, he said it was you know Calgary had scored to make it, I think nine six at the time, and he said, you know I thought we were I thought we had still had a chance until they got the ninth one, <laughs> and then he said, and then he said, can you imagine I just said that? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and That's so, awesome. Uh, Calgary is just scoring a bucket load of goals. So. Yeah. It is their top line, Sean Monaghan, uh, Johnny Goodrow, and, and uh, uh, Elias Lindholm. Have, they've been among the most productive lines in the league. And, um, you know, they, along with Mark Giordano, they've, um, they've got a terrific power play. Uh, they've had some spotty goaltending that's been mm-hmm. a little better for the most part lately. But uh, Calgary, uh, Calgary's a, a good team. I, was, I, I think they're the best team in the Pacific. I was trying to think of a team that would uh, – remember they gave up nine earlier in the year, and they just scored nine. Um, maybe the mid-80s, mid-80s Oilers, right, the last team to do that. Score nine, give up nine. Well, we used to, you know, we used to go to game in the eighties. Yeah, you know, you had to get four or five. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, no chance. Like of, you weren't yeah. winning if you got two most nights. You, you yeah. certainly weren't winning two one very often. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's dive into a couple of things before we get uh, Botchford on the show. Uh, this is a little bit of old news, but I really wanted to get your opinion on it and talk to you about it. Um, your old teammate, Ron Hextall, uh, fired as the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Paul Holmgren came up, and came out and basically kind of said, hey, we want to accelerate this. We, Ron's you know, the patience with Ron's patient plan has run out. And uh, Chuck Fletcher was announced as the uh, as a new GM shortly after that. And uh, Hextall came out with a press conference, said he absolutely didn't see it coming. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's get your thoughts on, 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 on Hexy being let go, uh, the decision to do it, and Fletcher jumping jump in. Well, um, the Flyers lost 6 nothing on a Saturday night in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually had, I was at the game, and... Um, I had I had talked to Ron before the game, and um, you know he was he was in good spirits, but you know certainly concerned about their goaltending, and um, you know concerned about the way they had had some up and down play. But you know when I saw the performance they put in that night, mm-hmm. I mean they just got their tails kicked. I walked away saying they've got to fire the coach. Yeah. At no point did I think whether Ron's a friend or not, and he is. At no point did I think, um, man, they've got to, you know, they've got to fire the GM. So I saw the email today, or it was on Monday, uh, with the news. I, I was totally shocked. And so somewhere along the line, um, the Flyers wanted to expedite, you know, their their growth. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was around the goaltending position. Um, so I, I believe Hexy felt that he was, you know, defending things from a lot of different sides. There was some talk that, um, you know, he didn't want the alumni around the team as mm-hmm. much. Yep. And um, to my understanding, and this isn't from Ron, is that what he wanted was no alumni in the room less than two hours before the game. Yeah. I don't well, think that crazy request. Huh? Unreasonable. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. and so. You know, it, it probably became a bunch of little things that seemed to irk different people different ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, what surprised me is, you know, he knows Paul Holmgren for a long time. Yep. And he said, you know, the, the discussion letting him know he was fired lasted 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I can only imagine it would have been, Ron, we've decided to make a change in the general manager spot. And mm-hmm. thank you very much. And, and no one hexy, I can imagine he just said, all right, and hung up. Yeah, it it really it's uh you've said this any so many times, right? Uh, the last good goalie was Ron Hextall, and uh, the decision to roll with what he had uh, the last couple of years. Um, he's assembled some good pieces there. Like it seems a little knee jerk for sure. Um, I, well, don't you know? Not to forget, people might not know, but when he got there, they were under terrible cap constraints. He moved to a lot of contracts. He had to make some deals to buy some cap space back. Um, they drafted extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the position that is under the most stress, of course, is goaltending. They have a, a player in Carter Hart that they're extremely high on. But he's at least at the tail end of next year away. I mean, he's just 20 years old. He's yep. playing in his first year of pro hockey. And there's just, I mean, there's a lot of steps for him to be able to, to play regularly. So, um, I, I was just surprised. Yeah. I, I felt yeah. bad for him because I think he did a pretty good job. I think the Flyers were are a team that will that is positioned pretty well. Um, and now Chuck Fletcher comes in, who was fired in Minnesota over the summer. All he'd done is make the playoffs seven years in a row. Mm-hmm. 
um, but they couldn't make the next step. And so I would say the fact that the Flyers hired uh, a veteran manager as opposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. going and hiring a really young guy or an inexperienced guy is they want to push this now. And so Chuck takes over. He's a, he's a terrific guy. He's, he's got a good track record. He's got a connection to the Flyers uh, through Bobby Clark. Um, Bobby Clark was the, was the manager down in, um, in Florida. And Chuck was a younger uh, scout at the time. Oh, is that where the connection the, was? Okay. Yeah, all right. I didn't know that. Through the yeah. chain. And so yeah. all those years ago, I guess, you know, and um, uh, so now he gets hired and, try to hit the ground running, make a change maybe in goal, maybe look at a move or two they can make and, you know, maybe a little less patient, which, you know, if, if you're not firing somebody to hire the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, you, yeah. there must be a different approach wanted. Boy, as a Leaf fan or, or you look at Chicago or you look at Pittsburgh or you look at, you know, any of these sort of rebuilds that are working or turning the corner, you need patience. <laughs> you got to have patience. You know, I just found Holmgren's comments a little funny. That's all. Well, the problem with it is you you can't, whether you're patient or not, you can't shortcut right. anything yeah. because the players you need, other teams aren't giving them to you. You call somebody and you say, hey, I'm, uh, I need a young defenseman. And they're like, yeah, really? Well, beat it. Yeah. I'm yeah. not giving you one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can he be a right-handed shot, by the way, too, please? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Willie Nylander. It's signed, Ray. Congratulations, Ray, because you don't have to talk about this anymore. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant because I cared. No, no, you do not care. But (laughs) Um, you just don't have to answer my text or Toronto radio or Twitter or anything else about this contract. Yeah, no, it's about time and it's good that it's done. And I guess we probably should have known that. The deadline's going to be the only thing that's going to push this to conclusion. Yeah. Um, and so the deal gets made, and in my mind, the you know the final points to it were that Nylander was able to get seventeen million dollars by July first, mm-hmm. um, as maybe a okay. So there's the the Leafs' financial might; they can go yep. ahead and make that make that payment. Um, it doesn't change the annual uh, value of the contract, but they can pay that money up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if eventually he gets traded, well, at least he's got 17 million bucks. I mean, that yeah. would be the trade-off. There's no other way that, you know, there's nothing else Nylander can get. He can't get a no trade. I thought Kyle Dubas, um, you know, held to what he was trying to do pretty well. Um, I didn't like that he said, um, you know, as long as I'm here, Nylander won't be traded. Yeah. That's what Nylander mentioned. I think it's, I think it's a foolish statement to make because, um, look, if the right deal comes around, the right mm-hmm. deal comes around. You got to trade him. You got to trade him. That's yeah. just, that's the business. Yeah. Someone calls you and offshoot three firsts or whatever. You, what are you going to do? No. Or there's a, yeah. hey, guess what? I want, I want him to be, uh, um, I want him to be in the deal. And you're like, wow, that's going to make our team better. So yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make the deal. Um, 6.9. Uh, AAV, that's that's good. I mean, what do you think? Like, is that high? Is that low for what you thought? Is that kind of what uh, makes sense? To, right I to me, it does. I, I thought he was in the six five range. So yeah. maybe maybe a, a little bit high, but nothing earth shattering for me. I mm-hmm. I thought it was a relatively on point uh, contract. I think it tells me, in my eyes, in my opinion, and again, just as an outsider, that the Nylander camp was high for a long time. 
because 6-9, the Leafs have to have come in around their initial offer. They would have to, right? So why, why would you say that? Because oh, if, you look at, if you look at comparables, if you look at you know, sort of what he's worth. I, I, I don't know, and I don't know why you would make that statement, okay. but because you don't know. But there's no chance that the Leafs came in at a, the same number that they settled at. But 6-5, let's say they come in at 6-5. They're closer. I Not think, a chance. No? Okay. No chance. All right. Well, then it, I don't yeah. know because yeah. nobody knows. Right. My yeah. guess is their offer was closer to 6. Right. So they, they came up a mil or whatever, a little under. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's nobody's right or wrong here. Mm-hmm. The deal got done. And um, if they wanted to do it, they probably could have done it in September. But, you know, both sides were pretty determined to stick at the, at the area they wanted to, mm-hmm. um, that they wanted to lock in at. Seattle expansion team announced uh, not a surprise, not a secret at all, of course. Uh, they're going to start in 2021. Uh, same expansion rules as uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas will not take part in the expansion draft, um, being, being as they're a new team. Um, Ray, this is a, you, you live in Vancouver, obviously. I think this is going to be a nice rivalry. Uh, it balances out the conferences. Um, thoughts on Seattle? Well, like like any place, I hope they get off to a good start because mm-hmm. I'd hate to see them have to go through what we did in Atlanta. Um, you know, Seattle's a, a really competitive market uh, for sports teams. You've got the Mariners, you've got the Seahawks, you've got the University of Washington, which is basically a pro team. Um, you've got the Seattle Sounders who draw 40000 a game. So I think it's... Um, you know they've got to, they've got to be organized, and I think and I, they will be. But you know it's imperative to to put together a relatively competitive team right away. They're they're a well backed team, mm-hmm. so there's lots of money to do it right. Um, I I hope they're good. I hope it works well and smoothly, and I hope there's a, a nice rivalry with Vancouver because uh, kind of does feel like you're on your own out here. Yeah, a little bit, right? Um, it'll be nice to uh, have short road trips and everything for those guys. When are you going to? Yeah, gonna, because there's not many of them. No, none. No, exactly. Uh, Calgary at Edmonton, right? Um, so you're going to be the new GM. Is that has that happened on Twitter yet? People's already hit oh, you up. I, I would doubt that. I would <laughs> doubt that. Uh, but your buddy, your old teammate, Dave Tippett, he's associated with the uh, with the team. I've read that he wants to coach. I've read that he doesn't want to coach, and he'll be like a player director of player personnel above he's a not GM. Coaching. Okay, so he's not coaching. No, he's he said he's not coaching, and so I don't. I don't anticipate that's going to change. He yep. hasn't coached in a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, my my thought is he's, you know, he's going to be kind of like the president, right? Okay, you know, somewhere somewhere around like, um, like around that, like sure. his title would be around that. Sure. And as far as the expansion draft for Seattle, don't you see Ray that the other GMs won't quite like if you want to take a player. They're just going to let you take them. They're not going to do these deals like George McPhee did and give up two for one or, or bad contracts. Like I think the GMs will be, I don't want to say smarter this time, but they've learned a little bit from this Vegas process, don't, don't you feel? Yeah, no, they'll just be they're more experienced, right? Yep, yep. They're, they're, everything is going to be a, a little bit more familiar for them. They'll, you know, they'll have a little, bit of, a little bit of time here because everybody knew this expansion team was likely to come, whether it was going to be mm-hmm. in the year it is or the year before. And so managers have had a little bit of time to try and get their ducks in a row as opposed to last time it probably came up, you know, 
yeah. pretty quickly for them, even though they, they had been told about it. Yep. It probably came up pretty quickly. Yeah, I feel like they uh, George McPhee really took some of them to the cleaners. So uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, all right, so you want to get to botch? Yeah, I think we should. All right, here's, uh, here's Jason, Bot- Jason Botchford from The Athletic. All right, and now, as we were talking about at the intro to the show, uh, very uh, pleased to uh, welcome our guest for this podcast, uh, Jason Botchford, senior writer for The Athletic. Jason, what's up, man? How are you? Thank you for doing the show. Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, things have been so great uh, for me. I've been uh, here uh, in Vancouver watching the Vancouver Canucks. Last time I covered a win, it's not December, it's actually December 6th. Last time I covered a win was November 8th. So uh, I'm hoping that the Vancouver Canucks can win uh, pretty uh, shortly here because that's uh, that's too long for anyone. It's too long for the people <laughs> in Vancouver that want this team to tank, and it's certainly too long for anyone that covers this team. Jason, when they when they came uh, out of the gate so remarkably well, they were what ten six and one at one point. Yeah, never were forget. You, were you more f- <laughs> surprised by that or by this? Yeah, I think the, 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 what really surprised me most was Elias Patterson. Uh, I knew he was going to be good. I didn't expect him to be that good. I didn't expect him to transition to the NHL and do it that quickly, that smoothly. Uh, the shifts he had, the, the games he had, was like it, it was mind-blowing, even for, for people like me who expected the world of him, uh, to realize that he'd only played seven games at center last year and see him take things on like he did uh, this season. But I, I do find generally like the league, like teams take it easy at the beginning. They just do. Like that's just how the league works. I think the NFL is kinda like that too. That that over the course of the season intensity ramps up, teams start taking things seriously. I even heard Travis talking about it today saying, you know, teams are playing better now than they were in October and I think you see that every year. I, I just remember like the first few weeks of almost every season, oh man, the goals are up this year. It's totally different. And things the screws get tightened you know after january so for bad teams um you know i I think it's a little bit easier to play in october than it is even in late november and december when when i look at the canucks and you know we've talked a little bit about this stuff uh like a lot of teams it seems like they they're kind of stuck between two minds as they try to rebuild like they're they're almost scared to go jump off the deep end and say it's a total rebuild because over the last two summers, they've signed six veterans on July 1st. My thought yeah. is it's, it's too many and it disjoints the rebuild. Um, what, you know, you've been around here a long time, covered a lot of different managers. What, what do you, what's your thought on that? Well, I guess broadly, like when you see the success of the, the, the tear down, admit we're re- in a rebuild, uh, models have had like the two biggest success stories are the Leafs and the Jets, right? Like, and the Leafs admitted to everyone that they're going to suck, that the pain's going to be real, and everyone's going to feel it. And they got, they did get lucky and won the lottery, and that accelerated things. But they were, they were ready to dig their heels in, be patient, and have a long rebuild. Like they were, like that's what they were setting up to do. The Jets did exactly that. Like they, they you know, did they. Shoveldayoff didn't care that he was getting ripped for not making trades and not finding veterans and doing all the other crap that that, uh, that people wanted him to do and were kind of pressuring him to do. They, they just, they, they were methodical, they were patient, and they came out of it, you know, a great team, like arguably the best team in the league. So I guess what I don't get, Ray, is like, why aren't the Flyers looking at the, why aren't the Flyers looking at the Jets and say, that's what we want to be like, right? And 
And famously, this summer, uh, that's what Lyndon told the owners. He, they, and he even brought the Jets as the example. He said, like, look, we're years away. Like, this team still has to bottom out. Like, we got to be super patient. We are neck deep in a rebuild, and we aren't going to be out of it anytime soon. He didn't want any, he didn't want any veteran signed for more than two years. He didn't want like a four-year deal for Jay Beagle. He didn't want trades to bring bring these vets in that that you're talking about. He wanted the slow, methodical rebuild. And Aquilini said no. You know, and he he kind of sided with with some other people in his front office that thought it could be turned out uh, turned around quicker. I think that that's the exact, from my understanding, the exact same scenario that's played out in Philadelphia. Uh, and and there's I'm, I predict like the Kings are going to go like the the same way like we'll see we'll see how they do it we'll see how willing they are to, to totally rebuild things but the blues they've been trying to do it on the fly and they're flopping um so i i guess what i don't get is why everyone in their nhl around the league isn't saying we have to do it like the jets and we have to do it like the leafs and we have to be honest with our fans we have to be honest with our markets and we have to say like this is going to be a rebuild. You are going to feel pain. And even Batman arrived here last year and he kind of scolded. He brought that up. You know, he brought it up uh, in, uh, like, he does that tour of every city. And he was in Vancouver last year and he said, like, like look, like, don't be afraid to use the word rebuild. And for too long, the Canucks were. Okay, so, th- so as you're talking about that, Jason, my, my thought is that comes that can only come from one place and that's from ownership because uh, Mark well, Chipman in, in Winnipeg, he was, has been patient with Kevin Sheveldale at MLSE. They finally had somebody in Shanahan sell them this plan and they voted on and said, yeah, okay, we're going to go to it. Because if, if you were a GM uh, um, uh, going in for an interview, wouldn't you tell a manager of a team that's in transition Look, this is going to take four or five years. I can get you there, but this is how we're going to do it and try and sell a slow road. Or do you think the owners say, we can't have a slow road? Yeah, I think that part of it is, is on the owners. And, and of course, they're, they're going to, most owners or most people, if, if, I mean, if you come to me and you tell me I can, you can turn my team around quickly, don't worry, you don't have, I think, I mean, there's a quote I read, I remember from Ken Holland saying like a real NHL rebuild probably takes eight years and can take as long as a decade, which is like bananas. Like that's crazy to hear and it's crazy to see, but he may not be wrong. Like, I mean, if like what, the Jets first draft was like what, 2011 and, um, and now, and you know, it's taken them this long to be the arguably the best team in the NHL, like a real legit rebuild that's going to set you up for like I'm jealous of the I wish I was in Winnipeg well I don't want to be in Winnipeg but I wish I had a team <laughs> like that to cover you know what I mean like I wish I had like a I know the Jets are going to be great for years man like they are good they just they have it set up for years so I I think it's if if I, I let's say Ken Holland's in the room and you're in the room and you say you know what I can flip this around in a couple years and, and get you where you need to go and, and I hear on the other side well, what do you say Holland and he says well it take you eight to nine years. Like I'm going to sign with the guy that's saying two to three years, right? But it's also it's also there the GMs like what GM is trusted to help to drive the ship for captain the ship for seven eight years, right? Like generally, uh, they know that they're they're on a time crunch that it's countdown to the, to uh, before their whole scene implodes and, and Aquilini gets nervous and he fires Linden and whatever owner uh, 
whatever, like Hextall gets fired. And they understand that their jobs uh, are at risk, and they understand that it can take three to four years for a draft pick or a draft class to really emerge and start being a difference maker in in their kind of tenure. So are they willing to wait? Like, I think even like even the Vancouver Canucks, right? Like, Benning has had five off-seasons. This is his first, uh, fifth year season with the Canucks, and they've had five off-seasons that he's been guiding guiding this team. I think right now they're even looking at the, the group of prospects that they have coming, like um, the guys that aren't in the NHL right now. There's, like, Dallin and Gadjevich and Lynn. Like, there's a whole bunch of these guys that are below the Pedersons that they hope can kind of balloon up and help in the NHL. I think that they're realizing that those guys – are years away, even though that they were drafted in 2016, 2017. Like it's, it can be a like not every player is like Pedersen. Like drafted in 2017, shows up the next year and, and is you know taking the league by storm. Like that's really rare. So even if you have a lot of success at the draft, it can take a long time for those guys to develop into NHL players. Like Goldobin. Uh, it's a 2014 pick, right? And right. and he's just figuring out the NHL this year, in 2018, 2019. Like that's the length of time it can take. So I guess my point is, like Benning is probably I I tend to think he's looking at that second tier of prospects and he's saying, man, like those guys are going to take too long. Like we need something quicker than that to happen. It's actually why I've got like there's a couple of those kind of second-tier prospects that I've had my eye on, thinking, like, are they going to try to trade Gadjevich to get a defenseman who's further ahead in, in the development chain? Uh, are they going to try to trade maybe uh, Lind, uh, you know, maybe uh, leverage some of those guys that, that could be two or three years away to get a player who's 22 years old right now who could maybe help them next year and the year after? Okay, so, Bob, let me interrupt here yeah, for go a ahead. This sounds a little bit like what they did now this is my reference point and steve knows it a lot um this is what i called in atlanta the no plan plan (laughs) once you get on a road you can't jump off the road and try and jump back onto a different road because then you never really get anywhere and so you make these draft picks and now you're you're looking around the league and you're going holy crap we're not anywhere near as good as we thought we are well now you're you're not doing what winnipeg's doing you're not doing yeah um, what some of the other teams are doing. You're trying to half draft and develop and half rebuild. And to me, it just, it never works. Yeah. And I think you're describing the Canucks to a T right now. And I think you're describing like why a lot of us kind of look at it and say like, man, like, first of all, you know, in 2016, they, they traded a first round pick in the can and a top, second round pick and they brought in Gabranson and they signed Erickson. Like that was a team that was trying to get the la- as much juice as they could out of the last years of the Sedins, which is crazy. Like that was totally the wrong direction to go in. I w- I would say. And, and um, I, I do think like, I, I look at what Arizona is doing right now and I, I think that they're trying to rush the development curve. I think that they've traded uh, multiple prospects in the past few months that, um, you know, trying to get guys that, that are further ahead instead of being patient. And again, like, as I pointed out earlier, that was for my understanding why Hextall got fired is because he was um, uh, uh, not ready to make moves like that. And so, like, there is a very specific way of doing it that the best teams have had, have become the best teams. Like, 
the route that the Kings took forever. Like Lombardi, that year, right, the Quick went on the great run and they knocked out the Canucks in the first round. They went on to win their first cup. Like that was probably... That was that wasn't that wasn't peak Kings like that. They were carried. I think Quick had like a nine forty something save percentage over the course of that playoff run. They they were legitimately carried by their goalie. And all of the talk then was that if the Canucks had beat the Kings in the first round, they were done with Lombardi. Like it had taken too long, and you know that he was going to get the axe uh, at the end of that series. And they went on to win, and they went on to win the cup, and everything changed after that. But they were antsy about it. Um, you look at where uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, that was another model. Like, Lyndon went to the Aquilines, went to the owners of the Canucks in the summer, and he had four different models. All of them were, uh, were teams that took a long period of time over the course of eight years for a total rebuild. And uh, the Hawks were on that list. I think, I think Seabrook may have been their first you know, of the of the yeah. core of six guys or seven guys that were the main part of the drafted guys that the Hawks used to win the cups. Um, you know, that there was a there was like a six or seven year span difference between the first and then to where they uh, got Taves, which I think was two thousand and nine. Like basically, Taves had played one year and then they were on a, on a run like the next year and they they took off from there, right? Like. Horvat's been in the league for five seasons, and he's nowhere close to to getting that (laughs) that kind of uh, success, right? But but that's because Taves was drafted at the end of that run. So, again, like, owners get antsy. I think general managers get antsy because they get worried about their job security. And if I draft a guy, if I trade for picks, you know, is is that pick going to help me out during my time in Vancouver or is is ownership going to snap and fire me and I'm never going to reap the benefits of these guys that we spent, you know, invested all of these these assets in in selecting in the first or second round. So, Jason, one thing we talked, you and I have talked about for a long time is, so how would you build a front office? Would you have a combination of analytics and quote-unquote old school? Would you have a heavier yes, analytic of course, game. man. Like it's got to be a mix. You you have to be. That's why I love what what Toronto did. Like I I, I think that they did a great job of, of bringing in different voices and different ideas. And this is this is how a great front office. Like if someone came in from the outside, right? Like in all in all of these other sports, like people outside of the sport come in and they say, okay, th- this is how I would run the team. The Theo Epstein's, the Howie Rose's, the guys who went to Yale Business School and Harvard Business School. Like th- no one bats an eye when, the, when these guys get prominent roles in the NBA, Major League Baseball, or the NFL. But in hockey, it, it, it's different. Like it just is. Like the, there is, there is, you know, uh, uh, there is a bent-in bias against people who are super smart and didn't play the game, don't have broken teeth. And okay, I would so, say so that Jason, I, hang on. the best those, guys that I know sports. that do that job are exactly what you're talking about. They're they're like they're like Dubis did, or they're like other guys. They're open to everything. They want to. They want the old-time stories. They want the the scouts. The you know the the guy in Finland who said, like, this guy hasn't played a game yet, but he's incredible. He has a great shot. He's really fast. I'm telling you right now, I know the numbers aren't there, but draft them. The best numbers guys, the best smart guys I know are open to all of that. You want all of those voices. You want to hear them all. You want to be like that Toronto front office was. 
and you want to you, you know you want to absorb as much information as you can, and then you want to make decisions with people saying you know like. I, I call it the wait a sec guy. Like if if I'm in charge of a team, I want like three wait a sec guys. Like I, I'm saying like guys, I think it's a good idea to sign Jay Beagle to four years. I want three guys to say wait a sec. Is that are you sure that that's exactly what you want to do? Louis Erickson. Wait a minute. Wait a sec. Yeah, like that. They were in need of a wait a sec guy. Like that's I'm always. Like the Canucks keep their their front office keeps dwindling. Like they're down to two. Why's brought in Jim? I'm like, get more, get counter ideas, get counterintelligence. Have guys that just come at you with a different side of things. Like if I could just flip it on the Canucks for a then uh, riff on that Beagle signing. Like that that's a real problem. Okay, they, they bring in Jay Beagle. They already have Brandon Sutter. That's two lines that aren't going to score. Okay, and here's here's where. It, Here's where it F's up. I don't know if I can swear, but it, it really F's up your development curve is because when Jake Vertanen isn't ready to handle it in the top six, he can't go down to an offensive line and still like develop the offensive side of his game. He's going down into a bottom six where he's going to play with a defensive kind of shutdown uh, center. And you lose a lot of, uh, you, like it's like Sam Gagne. It just happened to Sam Gagne. If he's not in the top six for Vancouver, there's nowhere for him to play. Because he doesn't have, like, he's not going to work with a Beagle. He's not going to work with a Brandon Sutter. So he's gone. He's punted. <laughs> and, you know, I argue that so he can't really come. Go, Jason. Yeah, go ahead. Let, let me just, to, to your point here, so where did, it, where did it become, and maybe it was just right from the very beginning, but as the analytics started to get more and more uh, complicated and more and more thorough, there seemed to be this, this canyon between the analytics and the old school. Yet when I, I'm reading a book about the Houston Astros as they how they built their World Series team and right. they had they had a guy who was a rocket scientist as the assistant general manager and they were talking to the old first baseman Enos Cabell about drafting Carlos Correa who became the first overall pick in twenty twelve. So could those two guys have been any further apart? Yet they were able to meld them their ideas together, and it came up with yes, Correa is our number one pick. Like, why is it so hard? <laughs> well, I think like you know maybe you can speak to it as much as me, but but I tend to think in the NHL that there's a there's a big big time old boys network um, right. that uh, it, it's it's a bit. It's a bit frightening. Like it's a bit. I understand. Like bringing in people that do things differently is a bit intimidating, and uh, it's a get. It can be off-putting, and it can make you feel um, that maybe you don't know what you're doing. It can make you feel unintelligent. Uh, you know, like look at look at offer sheets. Like they have all of these guys have this collective. Yeah. Um, agreement that no one's going to offer realistically no one's really going to offer sheet anyone like everyone in the eastern conference just stood by and all of you guys out there you just let dubis sign nylander from below market value and anyone could have stepped in and signed this guy to an offer sheet and screwed not only that deal for dubis but had a domino impact on what that meant for matthews what that meant for marner what that meant for everyone like, they're just going to sit back, and I'm telling you right now, the league is going to sit back, and they are going to watch Dubas sign his big three. All of them are going to be under market value. Dubas does things differently. And 
unlike the Florida guys in Florida who tried, and unlike guys in other places, he has a media in Toronto that's going to be able to defend him when, you know, others say, like, you're doing this wrong because it's not the way we're used to it. And that's, that's what's happened before. I've seen it happen through all over hockey. And I do think there's an element of the guys with broken teeth, the guys who played the game, the guys who didn't go to business school, they're a little bit intimidated from the guys who did because mm-hmm. they do do things differently. Change is hard, man. Like, my wife's always trying to change me. I don't want to change. Like, she's like... Let's hang out with this couple, or let's hang out with that couple. No, I don't want, like, I was just in an argument with her <laughs> about, like, hanging out with this couple that I don't want to hang out with. Like, because change is hard. Has like, change argument. is difficult. <laughs> yeah, like, she's Jason, like, what don't you like about them? I got one. bad vibes from them. I don't know what it is. I just don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so now we realize we're, we're at this point in the game. Do you... Do you see, um, because I think it's slowly tipping in the way of what Kyle Dubas might represent. I think it's slowly tipping there. Do you see that? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think that he's the heartbeat of the revolution. I I do think that that the game is changing. I think it's changing far more, uh, uh, probably more uh, slowly than it should be. Uh, but you like, okay, I was reading about Hextall and Hextall was talking about how he had like this analytics team and the flyers were way more involved in researching underlying data than anyone knew, but it was like the fight club. Like you could, no one could mention it. It was like top secret. Like, I don't get why, like, like studying statistics, looking at numbers should be top secret or embarrassing for any franchise. Like this, this, you should be proud of it. Like, yeah, we have like this great branch of our uh, front office that they just study numbers like the the Eagles just won the Super Bowl and Peter, Doug Peterson their head coach was had an analytics team in his ear telling him about the the uh telling him about plays uh fourth down, the, the fourth down on fourth Four, down yeah fourth right, down was a big time. thing yeah. yeah all the time and th- that was a like this is amazing everyone though that was the big reaction but <laughs> in hockey we don't we don't like there there's this off putting you know, somehow analytics shouldn't be amazing. Like this, the more you know is actually worse, which doesn't really make sense. <laughs> and you see why, why other sports have been able. You mentioned the Houston Astros. That's a great example. Uh, that's another team. Like I, I mentioned this the other day, that they uh, what did they 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 had a guy that was caught trying to uh, get information hacking into like the St. Louis Cardinals yeah. data base, right? Yeah, right. One of the the things that was lively, I just went to Toronto recently before the Nylander thing, before he signed, and all my friends were, like, freaking out. Like, they were just beside themselves. One, they don't think the Leafs are tough enough. Two, they thought that Nylander was going to get traded and or not signed and not play that. Like, they were in total panic mode. And first of all, I said, like, guys, you've got Tavares and Matthews and Kadri as your top three centers. Like, just shut up. Like, just leave, leave me alone and stop complaining. Like, who complains that the team's not tough enough? It's crazy. But I said to them, you know, uh, and I ended up tweeting about this, too. Like, I, I said, like, I, my feeling is that Dubas is doing something that people aren't used to. He's doing something totally different. 
uh, and people are reacting at it as if he's doing it like the old school way, and he's not. He's looking at the big picture. He's looking at the advantages of Nylander not playing. Guys get elevated in the lineup, like, and that helped. Like, there were guys that got big time top six opportunities that would not have happened if Nylander was in the lineup. A, B. Um, Nylander doesn't play for two months. Less wear and tear. Guess what the playoffs are? They're a grind. Why, are, why is the Stanley Cup so hard to win? Because your team looks nothing. It resembles, like, when LeBron finishes a run in the NBA playoffs, he's still LeBron. He's fine. Like he, Those guys are like they're just as healthy at the, as, at the end as they're at the beginning. Hockey team, you know, guys are on crutches. Guys, guys have, uh, you know, they're on walking boots between games. They're in slings between games. They have hip injuries, groin pulls. Like, they're playing through all of these injuries. And that right there is what why pe- when people say it's the toughest trophy to win, it's because your team is ravaged at the end. It, you need depth, incredible depth, to pull off a, a Stanley Cup win uh, generally. Uh, and generally, tons of guys are hurt. So guess what? Less wear and tear on Nylander, better chance that he's peaking in in April when they're going to need him if they want to go on a four-round playoff run. But the one thing that I never heard people talking about in Toronto, the one invaluable thing I promise you was a huge part of why he thought that this was a good idea. Because that deal that he ended up signing with Nylander, that could have been signed at any point. I'm telling you right now. There's nothing special about that deal. They could have done that whenever. Yes, they saved some cap space the way it was structured. But the fact that he got so much intel over the course of those two months, accepting trade offers, listening to what other general managers were saying, he's been on the job for 60 days, and he got a database in terms of how other managers rank their assets. What do they think is important? Didn't you think it was weird when you started hearing out of Florida that they weren't going to trade Matheson for uh, Nylander? Like that, that, that kind of stuff is invaluable, Inva- like priceless. Like I'm telling you, it's worth mil- like $20 million for that kind of information that he pulled from all those guys. And at some point, he's going to circle back. He this is my theory, he's going to circle back and he's going to find the soft spots, the weak spots, the guys that didn't value a player right. Maybe it's Ekblad. And he's going to circle back and he's going to make deals with other managers around the league that's going to take advantage of, of players who weren't valued and stuff. He's going to use the information that he's discovered and uncovered in the last couple of months. And if, if that's true, like if that's the case, and you're not willing another organization to to buy into what is going on around pro sports, you're gonna get burned. You're gonna get left behind. And I don't and I think we've seen some pretty good examples of managers that have signed contracts after guys have been successful, they give them the reward contract and they get bit in the ass on it. And I don't think Kyle Dubis and the newer generation of general managers and i mean kyle's only been on the job four months but i don't think they get burned quite as frequently they'll make other mistakes because it's not perfect but not those old-fashioned ones that we're kind of used to seeing yeah well i mean well like to me he's important because he's he's the trailblazer now he's the guy that he's in a market where there's going to be a strong smart media that's going to be able to defend him he's not going to get overrun uh like 
the Florida guys did. And, and uh, you know, uh, I, ju- I just think he's in a good spot. He's the one guy that can change things. And, and every team, every team should have, like, a Dubas or someone like that in their front office. And I don't think like, you want to have Pronger there running your team, fair enough. But if Pronger is going to take over a team, like, sur- surround him with other really smart guys. Like, and, and all the old school, if you want to have him, the Mark Hunters of the world with him, great. Have that, too. But have a varied front office and be will be malleable. Be willing to change. Be willing to change your perception. Be willing to try different things. Be willing to offer sheet. Like don't let like don't sit there and let your divisional rival sign great players at bargain discounts when you have a tool to screw them over. Like go screw them over. Use it. Uh, well, Jason, according to our Twitter feed at Paul Pocky, Ray is going to run the Canucks. This is what's going to – people Not want bad. this. this I've is, heard that. I've yes. heard that. Ray, you going to run the Canucks? I, I think I could generate a lot of support for that one. <laughs> I, um, uh, I've been on zero interviews, so there's a long way to go. But I would tell you one thing. <laughs> the, what did you call them, Jason? The, hey, wait a minute, guys? Hey, wait a sec. Hey, wait a sec, guys? Yeah. Get, I don't make sure you get how, one if you take over. No. I, I, would, I don't know how anybody wouldn't want that. I, yeah. w- one of the things that I've – you know, like I, I'm around the Leafs a lot, and one of the things I've been really impressed with Kyle Dubas with is that he's he's got veteran people around him, Lawrence Gilman and Brandon Pridham, and um, uh, he's, their management comes from like 14 different directions, it seems, yet that's okay. That's I don't know how guys wouldn't want to run that. I don't. If I were a manager, the last thing I'd want is to be the smartest guy in the room. That would be bad news for the team. <laughs> right. But you know, there's like, so you know many, the there's like, so you, many you know, you know these guys. Like, not everyone's like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 weird. It, it absolutely. It's a shame, really. It is because teams are getting burned on it now. A uh, couple, one more thing before from me before we let you go. Uh, Jason Botchford, yep. senior writer for The Athletic. Um, Francesco Aquilini is on Twitter. And thanks to you, I found this out. <laughs> And, and thank right. you, thank you. This is great. This is really great. Uh, I, I like the breakdowns. I like the tweets. It's 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 epic. Yeah, well, I think that it's uh, it's he's throwing his oats a bit. Like they they for a while there, it was uh, everything was uh, programmed and uh, it was planned. But there's been a couple of tweets like <laughs> it's going to sound ridiculous. Yeah. But um, they had uh, what did they have? They had. Uh, um, a DJ there that had been there for years, and uh, he ended up getting fired. And then they brought in the uh, the new DJ, and within two games <laughs> in the third period, Chelsea Dagger played right. Like right. And it, was, uh, it was the city went crazy. Like if you know, if you think that's the other thing. Like the, the, I know that uh, uh, you still see empty seats at Canucks games for sure, and it's not like it was. It's not a sellout streak. But this city, this market, like it is a sleeping giant. Like they are, they are amped to have a great team. And when they do have a great team, it's going to be you know double and triple the interest of what it was even in the last heyday of that 2009 to 2013 run. Um, like like people here are just dying to have a, a really good team again. And the Chelsea Dagger moment when they played that at a Canucks game to pump up the Canucks, which is um, pretty weird. There was a massive outpouring of reaction in Vancouver, so much so that the Aquilini, the owner, went off script 
And uh, he said, like, hey, I didn't like it either. Uh, it's not going to happen again, um, which uh, is in itself uh, fine. Like, it, you know, I find it really relatable that the owner is going to step up and, and uh, say that, uh, you know, quell the, the uprise and say that's not going to be played again. But it's also, I think, a little bit frightening for the people at Rogers Arena because, like, look, they fired an icon, Trevor <laughs> Linden, a guy hired as president in 2014. He was dismissed in August. In uh, last month, or earlier this month, or, yeah, in November, they fired Jeff Stipek, who is the, this, the nicest guy you've ever met, like knows every, one of those guys that knows everyone's name, came up through the hospitality industry, and had a lot of success in kind of maintaining and increasing interest in the Vancouver Canucks. Like one of the big things he did in 2016 was when he took over as president, CEO, sorry, was say like, we're not raising ticket prices. Uh, and he, the ticket prices haven't increased since then. There's been other initiatives to make the in-game experience a lot better. And they had a 90% season ticket renewal year over year last year to this year, which was top 10 in the NHL, 6% increase year over year, which is five, top five in the league. And he got fired. So now if you're in Rogers Arena and the DJ just got fired, the CEO just got fired, <laughs> and the president of the team just got fired, and yeah. the, the, the owner is going off script, you know, throwing out tweets about the DJ and what songs are going to be played, like it is, and like no kidding around, like it is super uneasy times in that arena uh, and in that place. Jobs are at stake, and, and I think people are rightfully a bit worried because ownership over time has proven – they are knee jerk. It is, they, you know, there's an ongoing joke around the league that there are three things in the NHL you can be sure of: um, death taxes and things are always going to end badly with the Aquilinis. And once again, things did have ended badly for a few people with regard to the Aquilinis, and uh, and and people are nervous, man. They are legitimately nervous. So it is hilarious that the owner is tweeting about the DJ, but it's also scary. Right. Like it's, it is frightening for people that have jobs that, that know that, that the whims can, can dive all the way down to who's playing the music in the arena. Your, your column breaking down when he decided to live tweet during the game, your column breaking down the tweets and what they meant and <laughs> what was going on was, was really good. It was really funny. <laughs> the, the only thing I would say, if you haven't read The yeah. Athletic and you haven't read Jason's articles, uh, if you want to know what's going on with the Canucks, it's a hundred percent. That's a must read the place to be, but I'd like you to put a glossary. At yeah. The start okay. So everybody I'm, I'm knows who the characters are in your, in your story, yeah. because if you got to, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an on running series here. You got to follow it. You can't miss episode 12. Yeah, and catch up right. in fourteen. You might have missed some stuff. <laughs> and it's like, but that's kind of how I grew up. Like I grew up like listening to Jim Rome and stuff, and I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" And there, there's some right. kind of, there is. I do find there is an appeal when people say to me, "You know what? I only understand like seventy percent of what you're talking about." And then I'm like, "Yeah, but you're still coming and you're still reading it. Like there yeah. is a certain appeal in <laughs> being able to do that." So and like you know, and I grew up. Howard Stern like has all these inside jokes, and Rome used to do it. So I, I do lean that way. But you're right. I do need. I, I am working on a glossary to, to have in there, just so everyone can can have a better understanding of what's happening. Well, perfect. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on uh, the Ray Ferraro podcast, Paul Pocky Show. I uh, really appreciate it, Jason Botchford. Thanks for the time, man. Appreciate it. Okay, guys. Anytime. Cool, Botch. Thanks. 
Uh, good stuff from Jason. Uh, yeah, real, real funny guy. Real great column on the athletic. And Ray, um, I think one of the things, and he talked about sort of, you know, Lyndon trying to push this plan and it not being accepted and signing veterans. I think we learned in Toronto, like, if you're just open and honest with your fans, they'll accept a few bad years and pain, as Brendan Shanahan called it. And, and the Canucks seem to be refusing to go down that path. Um, they don't seem to want to fully commit to it. Mm-hmm. Like, part of them is into it. Like they, It's almost like, you know, you've got the, the two sides of a personality, and one side says, do this, and the other side's like, no, no, we need more veterans. And the, and the more realistic side says, yeah, but we don't have enough prospects. And it's like it can't quite take hold. Yeah. To me, there's only one way to go. They're, yeah. they're just not good enough. They're nowhere near good enough. And they, any veterans that they have that would have market value, they should look at moving them. Mm-hmm. Bring in assets if you can. If you can bring in 22-year-old prospects, great. If it's only draft picks, great. But I, I just they're not going to get it done the way they are. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a lot about Pedersen uh, on the show, and you've talked about him as well. But every time I watch a Canucks game, uh, Bo Horvat, he seems to be taking his game to a new level. Bo Horvat has been outstanding. When Brandon Sutter got hurt and Jay Beagle was out, he's playing like 23, 24 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And they're hard minutes. He's not a... You know, a graceful player like McDavid, he's a he's a bull. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's just he's a tank. And so it's um, those are those are hard minutes for him. But he's he's been excellent. His his game has improved leaps and bounds. Um, it continues to grow. Uh, I thought when he came out of junior that his skating might be a little clunky and that he might be a number three def- uh, number three centerman. Center, yeah. um, now as I watch him, I'm like, nope, that yeah. guy's a number two center. Yeah, you know, if if in short order, Pedersen and um, uh, and and Horvat give them an excellent one-two. Could you imagine if they win the lottery, and now you've got Jack Hughes, Pedersen, yeah. and Horvat? Yeah, center positions pretty well locked down for a decade. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's been playing good. Every time, like I said, I turn the TV on, I'm like, wow, he's scoring, he's doing everything. He's he's gritty too. Like he's not scared to get dirty and all of that. You know what I mean? In the corners, um. Tom Wilson's in the news for different reasons, two different reasons. Um, first of all, Ryan Reeves, I was at the game the other night. Uh, Ryan Reeves, from, from my vantage point, it looked like an elbow uh, live. He was on the far end of me. It looked like an elbow, and I'm like, oh, boy, he got five, Ryan Reeves got five in a game. Uh, and then upon replay, I didn't see any elbow. It just maybe an interference charge. Um, and then, of course, Tom Wilson, I think the week we were off, he hit Brett Seamy from uh, New Jersey uh, from behind and uh, – yeah, he, Tom Wilson, uh, Ray, he, he strikes again. But then Ryan Reeves, uh, what do you think of that play and what do you think of the play in, in Jersey? Play in Jersey, I, I you know, I... You were on Twitter I, about I it, yeah. Really, <laughs> I, I didn't really think it was anything more than, than a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think he went out of his way to hit him. I don't think he went out of his way to avoid him either. Um, but... In the game, you're allowed to run into people. You get penalties if you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you run into them when they don't have the puck. So he got a penalty. I didn't think it was suspension worthy. The Reeves play I didn't think was a penalty other than interference. Mm-hmm. I thought it was late. I thought it was an interference penalty. Not even close to suspendable for me. Yep. Um, the injury, unfortunately, for Wilson was that 
his helmet pops off. And yep. I don't know how much his helmet was going to help him if, when he hit the ice, but it certainly wasn't going to hurt. Fact of the matter is his helmet didn't stay on, but I didn't think either plays were penalties. Boy, he's the villain right now in the game, and, and everything he does is closely watched. And, and the uh, the crowd in Vegas here was absolutely loving it. And it's really, I don't like any of that. I don't like somebody be cheering and screaming as the guy's basically knocked out and, and needs help off the ice. But he's he's a target right now for fans and everybody. Yeah, he is. I I mean, I I'm always disappointed to see that um, if somebody's hurt and the yep. And the fans seem to take uh, pleasure in it. About fans, they they those are faithless people that are playing for them, mm-hmm. um, and and so that's always kind of bugged me a little bit. Um, I understand why Tom Wilson's not a very popular guy, mm-hmm. as we've talked about on here plenty of times. I you know I like about ninety percent of his game. And I just hate the other ten percent. Yeah, like not even by a little yep. bit. I hate it. And then I see him get hurt the other night, and I don't want him to get hurt. I don't. You know, people are like, "Oh, karma." And that's what you yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Again, I, I don't. I don't really subscribe to that, and I don't. And I don't love it. Yeah. I wish he didn't play like he did. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I hope he's okay. I hope he gets back to to being able to play in Washington sooner rather than later. And I hope his behavior changes. Yeah. Like, I hope he keeps working at it. Um, you know, I read some quotes from Todd Reardon, his coach, saying that, you know, um, Reeves was on him constantly, telling him he was going to get him. And, and my first thought was, yeah, so what? Right. Like, you're allowed to do that. What do you think? When they tackle some guy and there's a big pile, do you think they're saying – Gee, that was a swell play, Chuck. Yeah. yeah. How many people, no, Ray? T- how many people in your career told they were, they told you that they were going to get you? Oh, <laughs> you're dead, or I'm going to knock your teeth out. Or, right. Right. You know, and yeah. so I, I don't mind any of that. It's all part of the gamesmanship mm-hmm. of the game. Um, I don't love that he got hurt. Yeah. And I don't care if he's a jerk or not, as mm-hmm. some people feel. Yep. I still don't wish he was hurt, and I and I wish he would change that portion of the game that I don't like because I think he's a really good player. Yeah. Now, will they go in and rescind that game misconduct off of Reeves' record because it now affects him for a suspension down the road if he gets another one or another two or something? Will they do that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I right. No, not the game misconduct, I don't think. Oh, okay. Yeah. They could rescind a match penalty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because, uh, like, I, I don't see the game there at all. No way. No chance, right? It, it looked like an elbow to the ref, obviously. So, um, And that's... Uh, but, um, all right, Ray. Uh, so the coaching change in Chicago uh, doesn't seem to be working right now. Two seven and one. They lost five in a row. Uh, the Kings, the LA Kings, uh, your old team, not playing well now. Kovalchuk was on the fourth line for a while. Their big free agent addition. Now he is out for a while. Uh, things in LA and Chicago, Ray, are not going any better. Really amazing. In just four short years, those teams win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, now they're at the bottom of the heap and they got a lot of road in front of them. Um, it seems like L.A.'s got a longer way to go. Mm-hmm. But you have to dive down into the prospects to see exactly what they don't have. The Blackhawks drafted three really good young prospect defensemen in the last two years. And, you know, their hope, along with Henry Okiyaru, who's up with their team now, that, that they will have built in the next couple of years a, a really mobile young 
defense that can transport and move the puck. Mm-hmm. And if they hit, great. And if they don't, then they got trouble. Right. L.A. looks like they're, you know, L.A. doesn't, L.A.'s got to find a new coach. Um, that'll happen in the offseason. Chicago's got a 33-year-old coach mm-hmm. who's, you know, learning on the job. So, um, yeah, both franchises really have long roads in front of them, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, uh, before we wrap here, let's uh, let's do the NHL. Uh, let's get that. Let's do the Ray for All game of the day, December 6th. 1990, Ray, and I guarantee you, it was tough. I found a lot of games on December 6th for you, but not a lot of standout games uh, for you. So, um, yeah, I, didn't, I was starting to shop for Christmas presents, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, 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 because coming up very shortly for your game of the day, you, you've got some hat tricks coming up in December. You've got hat yeah, tricks I know, coming up. I know, I know. I got one against New Jersey, I think, coming. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, all right. So, December 6, 1990, your New York Islanders lose to the Blackhawks, 5-2. Uh, to two. But good news is you scored your fifth of the year uh, at eighteen at 8.01 of the second period. The bad news is, well, not the bad news, but Baumgartner and Delgarno with the assists. That tells you about my line. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It really does. And see, I got traded. I got traded in November of 1990. Yep. And so this would have been, you know, but a month, a month into my Islander tenure. And, and Al Arbor and so was Bomber, Kenny Baumgartner was a defenseman moved up to left wing. And yep. Um, yeah. So I'm. I can't imagine things were going swimmingly right off the hop. I did get two goals my first game. Yeah, but uh, maybe that maybe that was the next time I scored. Al Arbor was uh, not quite sold on you just yet. You're playing. No, no I think I still had a lot of buy-in to do there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's the uh, that's the game of the day there. Uh, a goal and a five-two loss. And uh, let's get to some Twitter questions here. Uh, here we go. Uh, Left Coast Leafs wants to know, Ray, if you called the post-game shots for your team. Would Seattle be a straight out of town after the game, City? Or there's a lot going on. We're getting after it, City. What do you think of Seattle? Teams don't. Teams are good. Or Seattle will be a very good city. Yep. Um, a good road city. Guys will like it. But nobody stays overnight anymore. They're in their charter and they're out of there to the next spot. Yeah. Days have changed a little bit, huh? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So uh, Phoenix, by the way, with Seattle's addition, uh, uh, Arizona is moving to the Central Division. Um, which will be interesting to see for that. And this kind of brings up a few, got a few questions about this. Quebec's place in all of this, Ray. Now, we don't know. Nothing's been said, but what happens to them? Nothing. Nothing? Okay. Nothing. I mean, I, they're not getting an expansion team. Right. They just awarded one. There's nothing around the corner. Um, are they going to move a team? I don't know. Would Quebec be... One of the potential spots. I think Houston's probably in front of them. The biggest yeah. concern in Quebec, as I understand, is the is the market size. It's a it's a very small market. Um, you know, there's yeah. not a lot of corporate base there in the province of Quebec. The most of that's in Montreal. Um, so there's some challenges there. The politics of the province are a challenge as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're they're not any closer because Seattle got a team. Yeah, I. Uh, you think about the trouble spots in the East Coast, so you can keep the, the conference balances. Florida, nope, they look like they're good. Carolina's got a new owner. He's committed. And the Islanders are just breaking ground in the new arena. Other than that, 
I can't see relocation happening. And that with and, and, yeah, and no time soon. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at through the glass says. Uh, was that Craig Cunningham's Wall of Honor game? What a tremendous ceremony. It was cool to see you, Ray, there to unveil it. Assuming you stuck around for the game, what did you think of the Giants, and more specifically, Bowen Byram, going into the draft? Well, I'll be honest with you. I stuck around for the first two periods and spent all of it talking to Craig. <laughs> so I, uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't really get as much of a look at Byram as I wanted to. Um, uh, but I get to see Craig infrequently. So yep. to be honest with you, I... I couldn't give you a book on, on what I saw because I didn't see much. A guy asked us, why is the NHL making it harder for the Leafs to win the Cup? I'm not even going to get your reply to that. So, um. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he would even... Dale Hunter's helmet. What ringside analyst is it most fun to share the space between the benches with? Uh, for me, Darren Pang. Yeah, Pang. Um, we get down there, and it's a, it's a giggle fest. <laughs> um, Golf and giggle know. fest. Yeah, that's that's... That's pretty much it. Yeah, he would be, right. you know, head and shoulders away. He's uh, he's my favorite guy. You know who's an underrated funny guy hmm. is Joe Micheletti. Oh, really? Yeah. And so we were doing a playoff series in uh, in Los Angeles, and Joe was working for NBC, and I was doing for TSN. And uh, <clears throat> I have one piece of paper in a plastic cover yep. for my notes and uh, oh actually i was doing the game for nbc he was doing it for um must have been doing it for the rangers mm-hmm. and so i jump on the ice to do an interview at the anthem you know like before mm-hmm. the anthem and i come back and my paper that's in this plastic holder i can't find it <laughs> and it's dark in the rink right because the lights yeah. have gone down there so I'm looking around the box. I can't find it. Now I'm worried it's falling on the ice. Yep. And I'm like, man, if a guy steps on that, he's going to go crashing into the boards. So now I'm starting to panic. And I turn around to ask Joe, and he's holding it. <laughs> he watched me in in total panic. Yeah, just check. That's so up. Now, so Joe is uh, Mike Madonna's father-in-law. His daughter Allison married Mike a, oh, a few years ago. Yeah. They got they got four kids, and uh, so. Joe's grandpa many times over. Oh, wow. Um, at Joey Max says, uh, and this is early, but how do you think Canada will do with the World Juniors? Early scouting, Ray, you haven't done your deep dive into this yet. I imagine you don't have too many no. NHL games left, by the way, before you... Before I've got you... one. Oh, I'll, one. I'm going yep. to Carolina on Tuesday, and then I'll be into the NHL. Okay. This is a question. Let's save it for... Uh, give me a couple of... Yeah. 10 days or a couple of weeks on sure. this just to, yep. to really buy into it. Uh, Corey Oliver wants to know, Ray, if Eugene Melnick came to you for advice, what, what would you say to him? Um, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, uh, I, I, I don't, well, get your free agents in order. Um, increase your scouting department. Um, but how do you tell somebody to spend more money? Yep. Like either he can or will or won't, right? Like that's like to me, one of the things that an owner can do best is to provide the resources and then stay out of the way, mm-hmm. stay out of the spotlight. And um, I don't know if Mr. Melnick's been great at that. Right, right. Uh, Gab wants to know, have you ever been seriously hurt or injured but during play between the benches? Uh, no. Not, Didn't you get I mean, a I've been hit with a stick? Yeah, you a few got hit, times. Right, you got hit with a stick a few times. I think you said. Yeah, and so I, but not seriously. I've been fortunate for sure, and like I say, that's no place for bravery. 
you're in a suit. When the guys are close, I'm far yeah. from the boards. Has anybody done the uh, just turn around and try to clear it and go right by your head with the puck? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was the worst uh, I had was in Edmonton, and a puck hit the wall behind me, and that's kind of when I moved. <laughs> you know, it's a bad feeling. Yeah, like you would have been not good, right? Um, yeah, no. Who uh, who do you think would be the best fit to replace Cherry on Coach's corner from the sweeper guy? Well, I don't know. It, it depends what they're going to do. I mean, do you want one guy to be in there to try and replace Cherry, or are you going to do something a little different with the segment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does it have to be somebody you know about, or could it be somebody – that's maybe a little bit off the radar because, you know, when Don Cherry started, there was not uh, the coach's corner segment. Mm -hmm. That wasn't even there. Yep. And so maybe it's something completely different as far as replacing uh, Cherry, whenever that is, I, I don't know. I think there's lots of guys that have lots of opinion. It's just, yeah. Who wants to really be the guy to follow him? Yeah. Yeah. You want to be the guy to follow the guy that followed Cherry, right? Yes. Uh, Freets wants to know your favorite pie. Uh, apple pie. Yeah. Apple pie ice cream. Can't go wrong with that, right? Um, does Ray get noticed? Ricardo wants to know, does Ray get noticed a lot in uh, Vancouver, and what is it like? Uh, more in Toronto than Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why, but more so there. Um, and, uh, you know, people stop, talk about the team, talk about the game, even when I don't want to. They... Uh, <laughs> You know, like, there's nothing better than 5.30 in the morning at the airport and some guy wants to ask you about the Leaf power play. Right. You know, really, really enjoy getting in that conversation. Right, right, I'm right. trying to keep my eyes open. I've slept for four hours, and I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I understand yeah. why people are excited, but holy crap, there's some times where I'm like, man, this is this is not the optimum time. Wow. Now that Nylander is signed, you got to do that anymore. Um, I will say when we were in Toronto and we're, we have a classic uh, commentary coming out with you very shortly, uh, a guy recognized you when I saw it, I was walking with you and the guy just, he was cool. He just said, Ray, love, love your work. And you're like, thanks. Didn't even break stride. <laughs> nope. You can't. I mean, because, well, you just can't, but there's, you know what though? I will say, I shouldn't say that there's certain times there's just, it's the right moment. It's mm-hmm. the right vibe. It's yeah. the, you got time. Yep. Like, sometimes people I know think, Oh, you're rude. You didn't stop. But man, I got 10 minutes to get to the rink, get through security and get to my place to be on sports center, Yep. which is live. Yep. I don't have time to stop. So all I got to, Hey, how you doing? And I think I'm better at it than I used to be, but sometimes it's just unavoidable. Uh, Yako Ryuta, Finnish guy. As it happens to be Finnish independence day today, could Ferraro name some of his favorite Finnish teammates? My first roommate was Risto Siltanen. Oh, wow. Um, Risto could really shoot the puck. Um, Really, really shoot it. Um, He actually got traded uh, for John Anderson um, uh, a little while, I think, into my third year. uh, Risto got traded uh, for Andy, but he was always Mm -hmm. an entertaining guy. Um, Let's see. At the other end of my career was a young guy who I think just retired, Tommy Callio. Um, oh man, just an awesome guy. Just loved playing with Tom. Um, always had a dip in, had really good hands, um, could score. Uh, Posse Nermanen was a, another fin. If you've never seen Posse, um, YouTube, um, Finnish, uh, coach, 
dripping with or, trophy. Or plane, finish coach off plane or something. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. A, it's an awesome piece of video. <laughs> but uh, we, um, I used to call them Cartman. And uh, man, I <laughs> I really work. really got a kick out of yeah got a kick out of him. He was he was a good guy. The first uh, Swede or Finland guy that I meet that's a jerk will be or the next guy will be the first guy I've ever met. Yeah, as, just there doesn't. I mean, I'm sure there is. Yep, but they're just. And I know I'm forgetting guys, but mm-hmm. they're just they're just they're the easiest teammates mm-hmm. to have. Yeah. But one thing I will say about the Finns. Sometimes you can't understand them. They speak this kind of Finglish. Yeah. And the Swedes, they have, they're much more proper when they speak. Right. Things that kind of rolls the R's into these different things. And um, I'm, uh, I'm thoroughly entertained by the Finns. Absolutely. Well, that's another wrap. That's a wrap on a show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Jason Boschford from The Athletic for coming on and joining us. Really appreciate that. At Paul Pocky on Twitter. Uh, hit us up anytime for a question for Ray, and uh, we'll be back next week to uh, talk about the uh, things that are going on in the NHL. Uh, thanks, Ray. Really appreciate it. Uh, have a good day, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, man. Yep, talk to you next week. I'll be uh, By the time we talk, I'll be done my NHL schedule and um, just locked in on the junior tournament. But uh, um, everybody, enjoy your week, and uh, thanks for the questions. We'll get to more next week. Thanks for listening.